And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast on a Monday morning. Lots going on in the basketball world, kind of. Team USA losing to Canada in the bronze medal game after losing to Germany. The FIBA World Cup champion German team, congratulations to them. I have the request out for a Wagner Brothers joint appearance on the Low Post Podcast. We'll see about that. Dennis Schroeder. Holy smokes, Dennis Schroeder. What a what a what a shocking outcome for Germany beating Serbia in the gold medal game. Serbia balled out the entire tournament. Nikola Jovic bumping up his trade value for the Miami Heat. Uh we got Christian Wood signing with the Lakers. I haven't addressed that. And just hot off the presses as we're recording this, Tim McMahon. Adrian Wojnarowski reporting the NBA Board of Governors meeting uh, this Wednesday in New York. Maybe it's Tuesday and Wednesday, but the press conference I know is Wednesday. Uh, are going to try to vote on slash vote on beefing up the penalties for resting players, trying to ban teams from resting two quote-unquote star players at the same time. We'll see who counts as a as a star and beefing up uh, the, the fines that you can hit teams with for uh, resting players on national TV games in particular, I think will be the focus of this. I know the league has, I believe in the schedule kind of built in the biggest national TV games like the ABC Saturday night game so that no one is playing a back-to-back on either end of this. Where would you like to start Tim McMahon? It's been a long time. Do you care about the resting rules? Well, first of all, howdy partner. Uh, Listen, Company man here, got the ESPN t-shirt on. Boy, I'm big on these resting rules, baby. I think there should be like, you know, potential prison sentences, all kinds of stuff. Like, let's get those ratings up. Come on, let's get the stars on TV. So T- I'm really TV? T T TV. Can you spell that for me? That's still that's do you have one of those in your home? Does anyone <laughs> have those in their homes anymore? I got a bunch of them. Got, you know, nice big screens and can people buy televisions for anyone listening under 30? Could you go out and buy a television and subscribe to cable television for me, please? Thank you. Anyway. Listen, man, I tell you what, I was trying to figure out how to get the damn red zone yesterday. Now that, uh, well, that's neither here nor there. This is not a bat or a football podcast, but got a few more gray hairs after that experience and no red zone, but such is life. I got no hot takes on the resting policy other than sounds good to me. I'd like to see the star players play in more of the basketball games. That is the yeah. point of the basketball league is the basketball games. I'd like to see the stars play in them. If the league has taken care, at least somewhat, to space out games so that the national TV games, or at least a, a, some chunk of them, are back-to-back free on both sides, play. And if you can't play, prove you're hurt. And if you can't prove you're hurt, your team is going to pay some money. And that's that's that. So, I, I mean, look, this is literally being tweeted by Woj and others. Currently, I have not thought more about this in a while. I remember this was a lot of the talk at the competition committee meeting at the draft combine. There was a lot of talk about beefing up penalties for um, resting star players for the old DMP rest. I'm just I don't. Is there is there a counter argument to this? It seems like a good idea to me to play the basketball games. <laughs> I, I would think so. And I think that the other thing is you're. I think teams are discovering, hey, it's probably a good idea for our stars to be on the court more often than not because, geez louise, this hasn't exactly worked out for, um, you know, the the most rest-centric teams in the league. You know, uh, Ty Lue's on this big, like, the regular season matters crusade all of a sudden. It's like, yeah, apparently. 
Yeah, the Clippers. I let, it was my favorite moment of the one of my favorite moments of a very eventful, just uh, eventful, absurd offseason. Like in the absurd wing of the Hall of Fame, there's a lot going on. Was the Clippers and particularly Ty Lue talking about taking the regular season seriously as if they had made some scientific discovery? Like, I don't know if you guys have thought about this concept, but we got to take the regular season a little bit more seriously. Our producer, Andrea, said in um, our video, producer Andrea said in, in as we were talking through the resting stuff, are Kawhi and PG going to flip a coin to see who has to play in these games? I said, man, if they flip a coin, they might they might injure their wrists. Like they, hey, there listen. may be a, there may be DMP the right wrist soreness two weeks. Do not rule out them deciding. Okay, Kawhi, uh, I'll take the second half. You got the first half. You know, Kawhi's the, the, there have been decisions made on a half by half basis with him before, not necessarily in consultation with his coach. If my screen freezes halfway through this podcast, that means I just left, took the second half off, and you just have to carry it the rest of the way. <laughs> Team USA farted its way out of the FIBA World Cup. Close loss to Germany. Overtime loss to Canada after like an awful... This is the year of the missed free throw mm -hmm. turning into a clutch overtime forcing or game winning basket. Donovan Mitchell did it twice. Both were lane violations that were not called. Luca most famously did it against the Knicks and did his little tippity tap dance mm -hmm. afterwards. And Mikhail Bridges did it somehow resulting in a corner three and we lost anyway. Um, we. I'm going back to we. I got to stop with the we. I, I, yeah, I can't. I can't do we because anytime somebody says we, I say, well, what number are you? And I don't have a jersey, so it's Team USA. It's not we. So um, I, I would say I would posit that um, there's a small minority of basketball fans who are like really up in arms. Like, how could the U.S. lose? Do you like they will use the we like we got to field a better team. The rest of the world is catching up. And the majority of the fans are like, there was a World Cup that happened. Like what? Was there, <laughs> there were games somewhere the, the U.S. lost. Um, you no, know, we're really early in the morning is where the games were. So Team USA finished five and three with a plus seventeen scoring margin. That that's not great for for the U.S. Here our, our wins came against the following teams: Jordan finished thirty second among thirty two teams in the FIBA World Cup. Greece without Giannis finished fifteenth. Montenegro eleventh. Italy eighth. New Zealand twenty second. We lost to Lithuania, Canada, and Germany. All of that is a fancy way of saying we lost to every good team we played and played and beat only the bad teams. Um, in the last six FIBA World Cups, the U.S. has won only two of them. 2010 and 2014, we came fourth this time around and seventh in 2019. Um Team just didn't play very well, particularly on defense. I thought our, I thought the U.S. defense just fell apart the last three games. Blow-bys all over the place. Bad angles taken on closeouts. Bad screen navigation. Certain guys on our team, particularly Reeves and Brunson, getting hunted maliciously. Uh, but I just, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr., our defensive anchor, could not A, stay on the floor, or B, get a rebound, the latter of which was much more disturbing to me uh, as a neutral a neutral observer in these national battles, international battles. Um, so all of that is now done. It's over. Congratulations to Germany. Congratulations to Serbia. Congratulations to Canada. Blake Murphy will be on shortly to discuss Canada's biggest moment in global basketball, maybe ever. Um, now it's time to look to Paris, where all of a sudden, very predictably, Ryan Windorf reports this morning that the big guns oh, yeah. are coming. LeBron wants to play. 
He's already called Anthony Davis, Steph Curry. They've had a confab. They all want to play. This is what happens. The U.S. cares about the Olympics a lot. And look, I mean, like I just said, two out of the last six is all all the U.S. has won in the World Cup. Like if we don't bring our best players, we're not really a good bet to win these tournaments against teams that have A, played longer together, B, are familiar with FIBA rules, which are very different, and C, have all or most of their best guys. So I said, let's play a fun game. And I gave you three things to do, but I'm actually going to add a fourth right now. Um, from this 12-man roster, you're, so pretend you're Grant Hill, Sean Ford, Steve Kerr. You have unilateral authority to pick the U.S. Olympic team for Paris. Pretend everybody is healthy and everybody actually wants to play. Mm-hmm. And, now, and, and by the way, as we saw with Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, if you make a deep playoff run in the NBA, this is an instant turnaround to the Olympics. This I think the Olympics start even earlier this coming year. Yeah, but not quite as instant because that's when the schedule is still a little bit off of uh, the norm pandemic. because of all the pandemic stuff. But it is a quick turnaround for sure. Uh, okay, so question one. How many people on this current team that just finished fourth are you bringing to Paris and who are they? Oof. Uh, okay, that's the one that you didn't, you didn't give me that one. That's a tough one. Uh, probably not very many. Um, I think Anthony Edwards is going to have a shot there. I think that uh, I still think Bridges would have a shot. Um, I think Halliburton would have a shot. Um, those are the three that would would be my top three picks. I'm bringing two. I'm bringing two. I'm giving these two guys spots. Bridges I'm bringing first because mm-hmm. I just think he he played great on both ends of the floor and he's a hand-in-glove fit on a team that is going to have more superstar talent and fewer chances for him to have the ball. Ant's fit on that team is, is a little bit um, murkier. I think he'd probably go back into the Dwayne Wade bench role that he uh, did not seem to love when Steve Kerr first pitched to, to, to him this time around. But I do think a guy who took the number one option mantle and owned it, led the team in scoring, didn't didn't always love his pass or shoot decision-making uh, balance. I thought he got a little hoggy at times. There was no, there was no decision-making there. You say pass or shoot. It was he shoot. Had cut, he, had the, he had the one game against Italy, or was it Italy or Montenegro, where he just didn't shoot and was passing yeah, all the time. Yeah. Um, uh, but I'm rewarding him with a spot. We got to figure He played mostly hard defensively. His off-ball defense was, was hit or miss at times. I'm rewarding him. Halliburton was number three for me. And I just think I got to go TBD with him based on how many stretchy ball handling, three-point shooting point guards that are better than him that I can get on the team. Like if I have Steph and Dame or Steph and Trey Young, although I'm not sure I would take Trey Young over Tyrese Halliburton. If I have two of those guys, I'm not sure I need him for a third roster spot. So right now I'm only committing to two. Question number two was you get three picks. They all have to come. You get three dream picks for 2024, American players. They're all going to come. They all want to come. I stop you at three. You might have six guys that are on your list of like, I would love these guys to all play. But who are your top three first phone calls, first yeses you want to lock in? Well, two of them sounds like they are uh, on the way. 
LeBron, and Steph. Steph never played in the Olympics, which is insane. Um, you know, LeBron hadn't played in, in, in a long, long time. Obviously, sounds like he's looking for a last hurrah. I'm sure there will be some uh, camera camera crews and producers hired to document the experience in Paris, which is a pretty attractive place. And then the other one, there's an asterisk on this because you're asking me about the Americans. Well, I'm, I'm getting Joel Embiid. It's going to be a recruiting process there. You got to convince him that he's American and not French, despite the fact that he's from Cameroon. But uh, he is eligible. And boy, oh boy, do the Americans need a big man. So Joel Embiid is top priority. So I put Embiid to the side, and I assumed that we would not be able to convince him to play for Team USA. But yes, we need some size, some post defense, some rebounding some rim protection, and if you can also get some baskets doing all that, awesome. And Joel Embiid, the MVP, checks all those boxes. <clears throat> My top three lock picks, Curry. Mm-hmm. Just give me someone who just makes it so easy. Like, there, there were just – we had no continuity on offense unless both Reeves and Halliburton were in the game. And even sometimes then – there would be like one action and everything kind of slows down. Brunson, I mean, I was going to ask you who, who kind of disappointed in the tournament. We already mentioned Jaron Jackson Jr. Brunson's numbers are are okay. He shot, I think, 50, 51% overall, 54% on twos. It just never felt like he really impacted the game that much. He's not. He's a good pick and roll player, getting downhill for his floaters and his little spinny, pivoty footwork things in the in the post and the mid range. It just, I I yearned the whole time for someone who either through sheer speed or like Steph drawing the defense thirty five feet from the rim could just get the ball from point A to point B a little easier and a little mm-hmm. faster. And what Steph does to defenses is just unfair. Brunson, I just. It it made you appreciate how well he fits in New York's more like just ISO, mismatch hunt, take your time. Like that's more his game than the way Team USA was playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and Brandon Ingram had a tough time fitting in too. I think if you're looking at disappointments, he's – He's out. He's out for me. Yeah, he's definitely on that list. Um, you know, Brunson didn't have a great tournament. There's, there, there's no doubt about that. And look uh, – I mean, he's a $104 million bargain, but he's not a superstar. He's not a guy, you know, I think he's an all-star caliber player, but he's never been an all-star. Like, I don't think that there should be this expectation that Jalen Brunson's going to, you know, absolutely dominate every tournament that he's been in. He, this is the guy who the Mavericks didn't think was was uh, was good enough to, to give a $56 million extension um and not have the option of trading that yeah that didn't work out for them we're going to talk about the Mavericks uh later because obviously there is the uh Slovenian connection to to the FIBA World Cup and the Dallas mm-hmm. Mavericks Slovenia may not have won a medal in the FIBA World Cup they definitely uh, they finished seventh um but first in whining uh just gold medal for whining um congratulations to Luka Doncic and the Slovenian team you're going to get Cuban to say nasty things about you again. He does not like when you talk about Luca wanting. Well, Luca, Luca, you don't is, know what you're talking about. I have said many times if there's one, like, I remember talking to Clippers people when they manipulated the seedings, 
to kind of not necessarily face Dallas, but avoid being on the Lakers side of the bracket. And, and Dallas was the sort of collateral damage of that. And I said, I wouldn't want that dude for a seven game series. That dude is by himself going to tear apart whatever defense you throw at him. While he's doing it, he's going to whine about every call and non-call and every time he's touched and get thrown out of a game. This is two straight major international tournaments he's been tossed out of. He was tossed again when they lost to Poland in a major upset in Eurobasket, and then he was tossed this time when they lost to Canada. Did you like um I you know, I watched a fair bit of, of the World Cup. I watched all the elimination games knockout games, whatever, whatever we're calling these games, uh, all of the U.S. games, most of the Canada games. Did you like the FIBA games, like how they flowed, how they played, the the physicality, the officiating? I, I, I like the NBA game better. Um, I What I enjoy about FIBA is like the, you know, it is a different sort of pride without question. Um, you know, I enjoyed that. You know, having been to group play of Eurobasket, like the atmosphere is awesome. I don't, I, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure how it's different when it's Eurobasket. It's a lot easier travel, but uh, just in terms of aesthetics, I, I prefer the NBA game. I don't, I don't disagree with you in aesthetics. <clears throat> I will say, and I was texting with a bunch of people the, the last couple of days, including some people who are in Manila with and around Team USA, about you know why does FIBA seem friendlier than the NBA to certain types of players? Why do certain types of players seem to do better in these competitions than they do in the NBA? And and, and I specified to these people, I mean, kind of slow-footed big guys with yeah. post skills. And we saw Lithuania, Serbia thrive with these guys. Uh, well, and, uh, and Spain didn't make it through, but you know, Billy Hernan Gomez is an awesome FIBA player. He was the Eurobasket MVP last year. Luis Scola... It, it could probably get on the floor now and average 20 a game for Argentina. The guy just never stopped putting up 20 and 10 mm -hmm. for Argentina. He was like 45 years old doing this. Uh, and, and guys who are defensively challenged but A-plus shooters do not get played off the floor as easily in FIBA. And some of the answers were obvious, and most of what I got back matched up with what I thought. Um, the, defensive, the, the lack of a defensive three-second rule really benefits the slow-footed big end because they can just hang in the paint. Um, that combined with the fact that the three-point line is closer, there's just less space for these slowish defenders to cover. The help is coming earlier because you have your big guy planted in there a lot of the time. So the stress on you is a little bit less. And you can actually touch people on the perimeter, which you can't do in the NBA. In the NBA, you can basically take a steel chair to someone's knee in the post, but you can't breathe on them in the perimeter. I find that much more balanced in terms of how the areas of the court are officiated in FIBA. Now, FIBA's got a lot of officiating issues, not the least of which is if you make a not nice face in the general direction of an official, they will freaking call you for an unsportsmanlike foul and throw you out of the goddamn game. Like, take it easy, guys. Um, I make unpleasant faces all the time. I'd get thrown out of FIBA games quickly. Um, but I kind of like that there's something to be looked at there in terms of the physicality, the allowance for more physical defense, and the trickle-down effects of that of a little bit more of diversity of the kinds of players that can thrive and what that does stylistically to the game. Not to, There's just something to look at. There are things to look at. Now, it's much easier to defend in FIBA. Uh, obviously, you can tell that by watching Team USA give up 100 
13 points per game in a 40 minute game. <laughs> that, that, that's honestly one, probably the most embarrassing thing about team USA is they were that bad defensively when the rules make it much easier to defend. Anyway, back to my top three locks. I didn't, I didn't have LeBron. Is that sacrilegious? He's going to be almost 40. Is that okay for me to, to just say that? I'm just, I'm look. I'm trying, I'm looking out for marketing. You know, like I said, I'm trying to create some content here. I'd love to have him on the team. I want him on the team. I just, if I limited myself to three, I'm going Steph Durant, who will be 35, I think, by then, but has been an A-plus Team USA player. Obviously, one of the greatest shooters of all time. And I, I, I want Jason Tatum because I want two-way wings who can shoot in their prime. Size, defense, shooting, enough playmaking. Then I'll, then I'll call LeBron after that. I want. I got to have Devin Booker. Got to mm-hmm. have Devin Booker. You know who doesn't get talked a lot about for Team USA? I think he's only played once. 2016 Olympics. I'd really like to have Jimmy Butler. Can I just have like a mean ass kicker? Just a guy who's going to be not mean like Charles Barkley elbowing the poor guy from Angola, but just someone who's going to say like, I don't really care that we're supposed to be like statesmen. Like I'm just going to be kind of mean and talk trash and maybe hit some people and get some two point bucket. I want Jimmy Butler. Listen, sportsmanship's the most overrated thing about sports. And so I appreciate Jimmy Butler's approach. So those were my picks. Then I said, <clears throat> if none of your top three are big men, which they were not, nor right. were mine, mm-hmm. we need some size. Yeah. And Steve Kerr said this after after the loss to one of the losses, one of the t- two recent losses. He said, everyone wants us to have size. Like, we all know Jaron Jackson Jr. is not really getting it done. Walker Kessler was like, D was like kind of an emergency player. Paolo Bancaro was nice as a backup center. He's a four. And he said, yeah. like, we all want size. Go look at the American centers. Who do you want me to bring? Who do you want me to bring? So give me your two big men that you would bring. Answer his question. I mean, AD, although he thinks he's, you know, the whole, the annual AD doesn't want to play center. Like, dude, you're a center. AD and Bam. I, I, that one didn't take a whole lot of time. I've already got him beat on the, you know, on the roster. So. Those are my three. Yeah, you. I disqualify. I do, I didn't disqualify. I just said let's pretend. Let's. I'm a worst case scenario guy. Like I just. I think what's the. So I'm just worst case scenario. We don't get Embiid. So let's pretend that happens. I Bam and um, NAD are easy choices. That said, how are we counting Draymond Green in this discussion? Because he is in Brian's report about the early group of former veteran stalwarts of Team USA, yeah. decorated NBA players with Steph. LeBron, et cetera. He's obviously, you know, Steph's most, uh, well, not their pick and roll partnership is yeah. legendary. He's close with LeBron. How, uh, he, he has declined offensively in the last two or three years. Defensively, he's still a monster. Do, do we think we, do, he's still a lock? I don't know. I, I, I think if Draymond really wants to play, that he's going to end up playing. Um, I don't think Steve Kerr is going to tell Draymond, uh, hey, I know LeBron and Steph and all these guys want you on this roster, but me, who the guy who has to deal with you for 82-plus games per year is going to be the one who, who stands in the way. Um, and look, Draymond's a winner. Uh, is he, I, don't, I don't think you can just count Draymond as a big, though. I don't think you can just say, hey, he, this fills our, our – uh, you know, quota at center or void at center. 
I think you have to consider him a four who can play some five in small ball lineups. If that's the case, then he he's going to take a spot from, you know, name guys that you're interested in maybe having on the team, a Jalen Brown, Paul George, Damian Lillard, like a, a non-center I'm, I'm spot. I'm fine with any of those, to be honest. Okay. I'm fine with that. Uh, and then I said last one, some some I, I, under the radar maybe. It's hard to find under the radar, but maybe some names that aren't really talked about in the Team USA conversation all that much that you, Czar <clears throat> Tim McMahon of, of USA Basketball, would like you want to at least have a face to not just a phone call. You want to go to a coffee shop and have a face to face meeting with this guy or these guys. Uh, another warrior, Kevon Looney. Oh, I like that rug, the, the rugged rebounder. Yeah, rugged rebounder. You know, he's going to, I'm assuming Steph's on the roster, you know, playing for Steve Kerr. Like he's going to be in the right places. He's going to be physical. He's going to be smart. Um, so that would be, you know, you asked me for an under-the-radar, and your definition was a guy who hadn't been an all-star in the last few years or has never been an all-star, and, and that's the name that came up for me. I'll tell Mitchell you what. If, if, is another if, one I considered. Who? I'm just Mitchell Robinson. Hmm. You know, I'm just – I'm. I'm not think, bad. It's not bad. I'm thinking in, in that case, I'm thinking obvious, you know, rim protection rebounding. I didn't think of him. That's not a bad name. Wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily make my cut. Looney – I'll tell you what, if U.S. played Lithuania and Sabonis was playing for Lithuania full strength, I mean, I never thought I would see anybody brutalize DeMontis Sabonis on the boards like Kevon Looney did in that mm -hmm. seven-game series between the Kings and the Warriors in the first round. My picks were, <clears throat> and this guy's been, Steve Kerr's mentioned him, so it's maybe cheating. I like the idea of Desmond Bain on Team USA. Yeah. I like the idea of give me a guy who is, a sprinter mover shooter, not just a shooter, but a movement shooter, not even just a movement shooter, a turbo movement shooter who has a lot of experience playing that role in the NBA, who tries hard on defense, strong. I like him. Brooke Lopez played for the 2019 World Cup team that came uh, seventh. He may be aging out of this, but if we're looking for size and shooting and defense, that name was interesting to me. You know, we've tried. You're looking for rebounding. Well, but he's one of the kings of the like. He doesn't get a lot of rebounds, but he's always good for his team's rebounding. Now, if we if we, if the U.S. doesn't have enough faith in everyone else to grab the rebounds while he boxes four dudes out, that's another thing. <clears throat> Miles Turner got a shot. I didn't like the way he looked. Uh, yeah. International play didn't like. The, I mean, Jaron Jackson Jr. All the offense, all the defense and rebounding stuff has gotten a lot of attention. I, he just did nothing on offense. Like they would throw him these token post ups, and he looked okay doing that. No pick and pop threes, nothing off the dribble. It would just like he would pick. He would never roll. He would just pop, wait around for like, is anyone going to come get the ball for me for a handoff? It was just like it reminded me of Miles Turner. There's another name that never comes up. That's definitely not under the radar. That I would love to see play FIBA. I think health would mitigate against this ever happening. I would love to see Zion Williamson in uh, international play. I thought you were going to say Kawhi, but yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I, I've given up on that one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would yeah. love to see what in the hell that looks like, that freight right. train coming at you in the open court in FIBA. And this is not an under-the-radar guy either, but remember what I said about point A to point B. If he has a good season, another good season, 
I think De'Aaron Fox is going to earn a major, major look for a spot on Team USA, even if it's over maybe more decorated. But you're you're sneering at this. No, no, no. I like De'Aaron Fox. I, I'm when you said point A to point B, I thought you were going to say Jaw, but De'Aaron Fox definitely gets there off the quickly too. So Jaw, Jaw, Jaw's on the long list here. <clears throat> I think Jaw. I just think given the last calendar year, yeah. I, I've only got 12 slots to work with. Like I, I can go other places that don't have that same amount of baggage. This is not to say that all the gun stuff and the, the, the court cases and stuff that got him suspended uh, both last year and to start this year is some sort of permanent like stain. It's just it's going to be pretty recent. He's and, got some coming back to do. A yeah, lot. That, that's all. And Team USA and, for, you know, it's Team USA. Uh, well, and and you don't want to have somebody who you feel like you need a babysitter at the hotel with, straight up. The Olympics are going to be fun, man. I, I love the response of awkward silence. <laughs> uh, the Olympics are going to be a lot of fun because because um, Germany's legit. Mm-hmm. They might maybe they'll get Klebo. Although I didn't, someone mm-hmm. alerted the, this to me today. I missed the whole Dennis Schroeder, yeah. Maxi Kleba blood feud. Well, Schroeder basically said, you're not welcome here. Schroeder Max- basically said, he's like, you're not even good. He's, he has these quotes like, Maxi doesn't have any game. He stands well, in the corner and sets screws. Like, what is he saying? Well, so the thing was, Maxi did not play in Eurobasket last year. And the whole thing, they want like a three-year commitment type yeah. of thing. You know, He was injured, Max- reco- recovering from injury. Yeah, and he was getting a, a contract extension done. But Schroeder was talking about, you know, you can't say you you want to work on your game. That's when he was talking about you don't have a game. Like, you, you know, you're not like, it's not like you need to work on skill stuff. Like, basically, whatever. But the, the, the greater point Schroeder made was you weren't here last year. You know, basically, that means you didn't want to be part of the program. You essentially opted out, so we don't need you. Maxie's awfully, you know, I think he could still help him. Hey, they won World Cup without him, though. So, um, but yeah, it was super awkward, especially because, you know, Maxie and Dirk are so tight. And Dirk obviously has such a prominent uh, role in the, that, you know, the German basketball world. Um, I, have re- I, have a, I have a line to Dirk. I've yeah. really resisted the urge to text him. You know, see what happens when you retire? You know, German, they, don't even, <laughs> right. they don't even need you, big fella. It's just like move as soon as Dirk's out of the picture. Hey, they don't need anybody from Wurzburg. They don't need Dirk or Maxi. Um, but yeah, Maxi was ready to roll this summer, and Schroeder basically made it clear, I don't want you around. And so Maxi bowed out instead of, you know, creating a situation where it was going to be this huge clash. He was like, okay. Um, hey, and Schroeder, look. Let's let's be polite and say Dennis Schroeder has been a polarizing locker room presence everywhere he's gone in the NBA and well, in some, yeah, and in Germany and in Germany. Yeah, can't argue with the performance. He he talked the talk and he walked the walk. Uh, he was the best player start to finish for the team that won the FIBA World Cup. Hey, World Cup MVP, deservedly so. Um, I think Franz Wagner is the best player on their team. Agreed. And. You don't want to read too much. He missed half to half of Germany's games. He played sensationally when he played. 
I think the Magic, I mean, I was already confident the Magic have two future multi-time All-Stars on their team as building blocks. Mm-hmm. I, that is, to me, is a, a stone-cold lock at this point. Both those guys are All-Stars. And again, I've eaten crow with you many times on this one. Then I then I take back the crow or like uh, throw up the crow because Jonathan Kaminga has like three good games in a row and I talk myself back into it. When I said I wouldn't lose any sleep if I were Bob Myers and Steve Kerr and the brains of the Lakers, light team light years ahead about drafting Jonathan Kaminga over Franz Wagner. I said that a couple years ago. I wouldn't lose any sleep. I would now uh, need some melatonin uh, to to get over that one. And look, I've always gotten the fit. Like he's. Off ball, on ball, switchable, incredibly high IQ player, cutter, shooter, mover, can abuse mismatches. He can run. He's everything, pass, everything the Warriors want in a player. I just get so seduced by Jonathan Kaminga's semi-weekly or bi-weekly. What's every two weeks? Bi-weekly? Bi-weekly, I believe. The J.C. Penny bi-monthly sale? The Jonathan Kaminga bi-monthly burst of athleticism? I get so seduced by it. I'm wrong. I was wrong. Hey, they should have picked per- Franz Wagner. Let Chris Paul take him under his wing. You know, there, there's time here. There's time here. But no, I mean, I agree with you on Franz 100%. Like, hey, you think that the uh, the Warriors should be losing sleep. How about the Ma- – or I'm sorry, the Bulls. Oh, that was yeah, their the pick. Bulls. That was their pick. Yeah, the the, Matad- the, the Matadors got some uh, – some of the little swords have been in the Bulls on that one for a few, yeah. a few years. I don't like bullfighting. You ever seen a bullfight? <laughs> Uh, I can't say that I have. If I got tic- if I got free tickets to a bullfight, I don't think I would go. Would you go? Uh, if I was in Spain, it's just it's a lose lose. Either the bull loses, or you see some so- sort of catastrophe where the human loses. And that I don't want to see that. Like, what is the what is the upside for me going to a bullfight? Would you do the running of the bulls? Would you ever do the running oh, of the bulls? Hell no, no. That's in Pamplona, right? Pamplona, Spain. Sounds accurate, but no, because the 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 risk reward there is way out of whack. You know what I would do? I would go to like the fringes of the track or wherever they run, and then run directly to a place where they can't get me. But then I would tell the story. Of like, I was right in the middle of it. The bull was like, I could feel its breath on my butt. And then I would, I would, I would be like one of the the hundred thousand people who was at Will Chamberlain's hundred point game. <laughs> you can't wear that shirt when you do it. That's for sure. Oh no, this shirt would be. Yeah, you're right. You gotta be, you gotta be careful. Okay, uh, that's it for my Team USA thoughts. I think. Congratulations to everyone else, and and to uh, particularly to Germany and Serbia who clinched their berths to the Olympics. No Jokic. Serbia rolls right along. Mm-hmm. Presumably, he will play in the Olympics. Uh, and we still got four spots, I believe, to be determined. Croatia Croatia swept through the Olympic pre-qualifying qualifying tournament in Turkey. They still mm-hmm. got a shot. Don't hey, count them out. Hey, also, watch out for the Bahamas. They've got DeAndre. They've got Buddy <laughs> Field. They've got Eric Gordon now. They, they won in Argentina to give themselves a chance and one of those Olympic qualifying tournaments. Listen, those tournaments are going to be fun too. No, there's, there's, I mean, it's hard to make 12 teams. It's hard to make the Olympics. The Bahamas, uh, Chris DeMarco, assistant coach for the Warriors, has done a tremendous job building that program up, uh, getting Aiton, getting Gordon, getting healed all to, to buy in and beating Argentina and Argentina. I don't really care who's playing, who's not playing, what the right. circumstances are. That's a good win. Croatia beat Turkey in Turkey to, to win its 
qualifying and Shengun, I know, was playing for Turkey and a couple other good guys. Those are hard wins. Lakers, the most consequential free agency signing of the last couple of months. Christian Wood, your old friend from Dallas for whom they traded a first-round pick, got off to an okay start, was kind of doing what you expected him to do, which is score a lot of points in a six-man role. I predicted he would win six-man of the year last year. Mm-hmm. Didn't turn out like a good prediction. Then then it was spot start when injuries determined that he should start. Fit, you put a shooting five next to Luka, there's not going to be any answer for that defensively. Then it went sour. Uh, an exten- extension never happened. He was eligible for an extension, didn't get one, and signed with the Los Angeles Lakers for the minimum the veterans minimum joining a team that is pretty loaded in terms of just mm-hmm. like, I don't know how many minutes he's guaranteed. If you pencil in their starting five in pencil would be D team USA hero slash Austin Reeves, LeBron. I'm, I'm going to go Rui, Anthony Davis. <clears throat> That's my starting five off the bench. I got Gabe Vincent for sure. I think Jackson Hayes for sure at the one and the five. In between, I got like Torian Prince, uh, Max Christie's going to get a chance, Jared Vanderbilt's an incumbent starter, Cam Reddish might get a chance, Christian Wood is like, I bet he'll start the season as their backup four, sometimes five, sometimes pair him with AD, but it's not like you look at this roster and see like 25 guaranteed minutes every single night for Christian Wood. Um, um, listen, listen, he said he talked to uh, Darvin Ham, who was with him in Milwaukee during his like 13 game stint with Bucks. And uh he told our our Hall of Fame friend Mark Spears that there's a big role for him. This is Christian Wood. You know, talked about what Dallas did to him and it's gonna be different in in uh LA. Uh communication with the coach is much better. Uh let's see. He says uh Coach Ham and I go back to our Milwaukee days, and we've had great conversations every day about this opportunity. He believes in me and told me I'll be playing a big role and knows what I can do. I'm looking forward to this and Fusher motivated after what Dallas did. And you know that Fusher is a capital F A S U R E. Fusher motivated. Okay. Listen, he ain't just motivated, he's Fusher motivated. Average 26 minutes a game in Dallas, so if that's not a big role, I wonder what this big role he's guaranteed in L.A. is going to be. Um, You know, the ultimate problem with Christian Wood, well, there is, I mean, the basketball problem with Christian Wood. Offensively, there's no doubting his talent. Mm-hmm. He can shoot it. He can score one-on-one. He's not quite as explosive and quick off the dribble as, as you might think. Like, he doesn't get by even centers as easily as you think, but he's a good kind of tricky scorer. You can get you a 15 a game off the bench <clears throat> and loosen your spacing. Um, defensively, you've heard a lot of buzz over the years about, you know, um, sometimes doesn't remember the scheme or the coverage every trip down the floor. And he is just the ultimate. He's the size of a center, but he can't play center on defense. So you have to find a place to hide him. And if the other team doesn't have one of these sort of non-stretchy, non-explosive fours that you can stash him on, it's hard for him to find a home on defense. When you do have that sort of opponent, the idea of him and Anthony Davis together makes a whole lot of sense. Um, But in that scenario, Anthony Davis is still playing center defensively, which maybe 
you know, we keep hearing this, he doesn't want to do. I, 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 he'll help them here and there in the regular season. I'm just curious where he fits. What I'm more curious about from your perspective, and I've made some calls about this around the last few days, it's like the intel on Christian Wood. Look, he's, he's how many teams are we at now? There's a lot of teams Eight. now. <laughs> and the intel has never been great, but it's always been sort of like a, I don't want to say harmless, but like, yeah, even even like some 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 old school coaches who have had him before have told me, He's such a nice guy. He means yeah. well. He's just late sometimes. He's a little bit of a space cadet. Nice guy. Not a bad teammate. And I'm like, what happened in Dallas? Did something happen in Dallas that he just went from like that to now he's signing two months into free agency for nothing? Yeah. Zach, there, like, there's a long list of teams didn't want him back. The Rockets tried to trade him for a year. Like, And you said the Mavericks gave up a first-round pick. They gave up a late, a late first-round pick. And four guys they did not want at the end of the roster. That's true. That was like that was a roster. And listen, they screwed up what they did with those roster spots. But the primary motivation for that trade was to create the roster spots. And Jason Kidd never wanted him. He never wanted him. And you can blame Jay Kidd for poor communication. I think that's you can have some fair criticism of Kidd on that. But the Mavericks asked Christian Wood to be a bench scorer. Would and and really more so the people he listens to consider that to be some great insult. It's an insult, right? It's an insult. Yeah, He's a max player, right? You know, and I'm like, dude, that's what the entire league sees his potential as. Like, do you? Here's the thing: it's it's. I feel for him in this sense. If he would have embraced that role, okay, hey, I'm going to be the best bench scorer in the league. Cool, six man of the year is a great goal for me. He'd have gotten at least the mid level. Oh, he I think he would have gotten like four years, 75 million. Right. But you you know, you've already got this rep, as you say. I he's not a bad dude. He's a nice guy. He's not a bad dude. He's a doofus. There's a difference. But every coach he has seems to be very eager to to move on from him. Um, you know, punctuality's been a big problem in the past. My understanding is not so much in Dallas. But if the meeting started at 10, 15 in the hotel room, he was, you know, he was grabbing breakfast in the room at 10, 15, that sort of thing. But it's just the, like I always say, his his most frequent defensive stance is a shrug and a bewildered look as the ball's going through the basket and he's trying to figure out how exactly he screwed up that rotation. Or, or and I, I think that got worse last year. For whatever reason, I think that was there was a regression from where even he was coming into the season defensively in terms of just awareness schematically. He had a five or six game stretch earlier in the season where he was pretty dialed in. They were using him at center. He had like some big shot blocking games and yeah, some high leverage winning shot. block against yeah. uh, against the Lakers in LA some late two game minute, shot two minute reviews, or two minute reports that it was a foul but hey it, it went down as a game winning block it counts um but like i said him and him and kid was just it, it was short term. like all you knew that a week into the season the Mavericks blew a 16 point lead in the last 4 minutes and lost in overtime to Oklahoma City and Jay Kidd post game basically said, "Hey, you know, people want to see Christian Wood closing. Well, we put him out there with the closing lineup. Look what happened! <laughs> like, wow, you know, if, if there was any wonder about whether this thing was going to work, it was 
you know, it, 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 you could figure it out right then. And then the Mavericks, they definitely put out there, hey, we're willing to discuss an extension with with C. Wood, but not not more than two years. You know, we talked about that at the time. I reported it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember. Report. Well, I, I've come to find out that was a bluff, and they figured he wouldn't take the bluff, right? Well, we'll put out – because they were trying to kind of keep things, like, peaceful, I would say. So I'll put out that we're willing to talk two years because he's not going to take that. Now, what would have happened if uh, if Christian Wood and his agent, Adam Pinsack, who – Shrewd negotiate by him to get that player option on the minimum deal. Um, what would have happened if they would have called that bluff? I don't know. We'll never know. Um, I think the Mavericks would have signed the contract, to be honest with you, depending on when it was. If it was uh, December-ish, it was, it was, yeah. I, I think they would have signed it. Yeah, I think they would have signed a two-year, 30-whatever contract. He became eligible for the extension. The first game he was eligible, uh, extension eligible, was Christmas Day. That's when the Lakers were in Dallas, and he had a great game. He had 30 points, like 30, and stuffed the box score. Uh, played really well. Fans love the guy because he can score in a lot of different ways. He just doesn't ever make his team better. And even as great as he is as, as a scorer, when you look at one big lineups, the Mavericks were much better offensively and defensively with Dwight Powell on the floor than with Christian Wood. And it's hard to make sense of that because you watch, you're like, what, how can that be? It's just a, it's a simple fact of the matter. I say this respectfully to both cockroaches and Dwight Powell. Dwight Powell is an NBA cockroach, man. You could not stamp that guy out. I'm sitting here previewing the Dallas Mavericks in my head, the writing down lineups. I'm like, God damn it, he's going to be their starting center again. Now, I yeah. think there'll be some open competition. I think the coaches there would like there to be. Perhaps some open competition for that spot between him and maybe Rashawn Holmes. They like the lively kid. I doubt he'll be ready for that kind of responsibility. Kleba, they'll toggle between both positions. They have some nice front court versatility in Dallas with Grant Williams and, and Derek Jones Jr. They can do a lot of funky stuff. Um, and that's my Dwight Powell uh, remark. Yeah, I, Christian, I think Christian Wood will help the Lakers. Look, the, what the Lakers have now is a guy who, who now knows you would hope that there would be some self-awareness from both Christian and his people, the whole league has now sent a message. Yeah. You're not, you not only are you not a max player, you are now a minimum player on what is essentially you hope a one year deal and a prove it deal. You're on a team that is not going to tolerate anything less than, than full commitment to, to defense and winning. That's how the Lakers won their title defense. That's how the Lakers saved their season and rebounded last season defense. Their offense was never very good. Their half-court offense was never any good at all, regular season or playoffs. Even if you parse the numbers with LeBron and AD on the floor, it wasn't very good. Some of that maybe was LeBron's foot injury that happened against Dallas, I believe, and lingered all the way through the season in the playoffs. But they make their bones on defense. That means they need his skill set. But if he takes too much away from what they're really good at, he's just not going to play that much. Um, and before we leave the Lakers, I did want to ask you, like, what, what, do you, what do you make of the Lakers? Because when I talk to people around the league about projecting the West and who's a real title contender, you know, obviously Denver is the favorite. You hear a lot of talk about Phoenix. There's all of this sort of Warriors sheen from the title two years ago, deservedly so, and then interest in the Chris Paul trade and how that's going to fit. I don't 
for a team that made the conference finals, and yes, they got swept. And as you said, as you've coined on my, the the Hoop Collective, they won the bronze broom for a competitive sweep. Congratulations! Um, in the conference finals, you don't. I there seems to be sort of a befuddlement of what exactly to make of their team, both. How real was their run last year after trading Russ and sort of reorienting the team and discovering how good Reeves really was? And even after an offseason that was pretty universally lauded, ending with this Christian Wood signing, you, I just don't hear a ton of like, oh man, that team is is feared. And even you look at the over-unders, it's Denver, Phoenix, then a three or four win drop to Warriors, Lakers, Clippers, Grizzlies kind of all bunched together. What's your take on that? I mean, I, I think that you have to respect them as a team that's going to have a chance, but there's somewhere in that, you know, I I agree. It's the Nuggets are on their own tier. And then I would say Suns, Warriors, and the Lakers are somewhere at the top of that next one. Um, and obviously so you, got, biggest, you got Warriors definitively above the Lakers, even though the Lakers beat them in the playoffs last year. I, I, definitively is probably too strong probably too strong. But the biggest question with the the Lakers to me is LeBron and AD's health. Like how many games are they playing? Are they going to be healthy? Come play? If they're healthy come playoff time, they're going to have a chance. I mean, LeBron is still, I don't care how old he is. He's still one of the most dominant forces in the game when he's healthy. Uh, AD, the, the postseason he had defensively was, I mean, unbelievably impressive. Austin Reeves is an ascending talent, and I think he can be uh, a, an all-star uh, type of, of, of talent. Um, and then, you know, we'll see. Even if he's not an all-star type of talent, if for this coming season, Austin Reeves is what he was last season, but 10% better, if he is their version of... But but better than this player. If he's like prime Nick Batum, but a little bit better offensively and a little bit more aggressive offensively, I think this team can contend. Like if they're if they're healthy, I think they're an inner circle contender. And I understand that if they're healthy is the caveat that they face more than everyone else because LeBron's his age and he's number now number two all time in minutes regular season and postseason number one in postseason minutes by a mile. AD is always nicked up somehow. I believe in what they did last year. I think it was real. I picked the Warriors to beat them in the playoffs because I thought the Warriors were just kind of a more diverse, just a little bit more of a snappier, more reliable offense. All of could spread the Lakers out in ways that would trouble them. And they, they straight up physically beat the Warriors up and won that series. I'm glad you mentioned AD's defense because I just, I went crazy on get up during the playoffs because every day that a every time ad would score like 22 points or less there would be this like i want this guy to average 35 a game he had 40 in game one where is that guy and i'm like i i said i said like can we can we talk about defense for a minute like is that even allowed he's been the best defensive player in the postseason period Mm -hmm. here is postseason numbers 23 14 two and a half assists three blocks on 52% shooting. 22 and a half is not enough. He needs to score more than that. In the regular season, he averaged 26 a game. Shot it a little bit better. His usage rate in the playoffs fell from 28% of his team's possessions to 24%. 
24% would be his lowest usage rate since his rookie year in the regular season and his lowest in the playoffs by far. Something did get lost in terms of finding him touches. And if you look at the numbers, one of the things that got lost was the LeBron AD two-man game. In the regular season, 18 pick and rolls per 100 possessions, LeBron and AD. In the playoffs, that fell to 10. And that's despite AD playing center essentially full-time with the lane semi-free for him. Now, excising Vanderbilt from the starting five would really free the lane for him, and I didn't think they just went to that well enough when Vanderbilt was off the floor, and I don't think Vanderbilt will start this year. Um, Part of that might have been LeBron's injury and just sort of like an inability to just say, this is my game, I'm going to control it the way I want. Something was definitely lost offensively from AD. But if you look at the last two rounds of the playoffs, just the the Warriors series and the Nuggets series, 24 a game, 14 rebounds, three assists, two and a half blocks. That's tied for 10th in scoring over those last two rounds behind Jalen Brunson, who only played five games, Jokic, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum, Steph Curry, LeBron, Embiid, Jamal Murray tied for 10th with Jimmy Butler. It's not like he vanished. He had some big games in that run. I I like this team a lot. I think they're deep. Um, I think Reeves will get better. I like what they did in the offseason. To me, their story is their half-court offense has to be better. Part of that is AD. Part of that is health. Part of that is LeBron. I buy them as a contender. I like their team. Yeah, I I think that's fair. Um, I mean, they did just play in the West Finals. Well, and, and speaking of that series, they have the disadvantage that every other team in the league has, which is, I just don't, like, with all due respect, as, as I've told Richard Jefferson, any sentence that starts with all due respect is not going to end well, respectfully. With all due respect to Jackson Hayes, I just don't know what their answer for Jokic is, because it wasn't Anthony Davis in the conference It's not finals. Anthony Davis, like, but like you said, who... Who does have that answer? Well, he he beat the hell out of Anthony Davis so badly that they decided both to protect him and to try to help their defense to use AD as a rover off Aaron Gordon and guard Jokic with Hachimura and sometimes LeBron. And despite Rui Hachimura almost solving the riddle in game one, Jokic figured that one out. Michael Malone really really liked that, uh, that little temporary narrative, didn't he? He did. He enjoyed that. Um, but that, but that's like everybody has that problem because the answer can never be double team him every time he gets the ball because you're going to lose. The an- the Heat actually were pretty good fronting, doubling, mixing coverages. That's the only answer. But like, if AD is is not a big part of that answer, then I. But that's but every team Listen, has that problem. Say, that's if, every team. If AD is not the answer, if Bam Adebayo is not the answer, <laughs> like, I don't think there's an answer. What? But that's the reality. Like every. Every half decade in the NBA has a couple of players like this. That's just the reality for every team in the Western Conference. You either you you don't have an answer, so you either have to cobble something that can last for four wins or outscore them. I mean, and that's what Jokic has ascended to is all of these teams that want to win have to have an eye on Denver in their offseason transactions. They have to do something, try to do something. And for Golden State, it's we still think we can go five out with Draymond at center and spread them out to a point that Jokic is hurt defensively and Draymond can stand him up in the post. And like we, there's proof of concept for them. Now, 
Denver was without several key players in that series, but still. Anyway, that's the Lakers. We were supposed to get to Dallas. We can save Dallas for another day. Got a little Dallas. I like Dallas's team. I just the West is it's going to be you, tough, but I like their team. Real quick, you like them, and you would pick them to finish where in the West? Well, that's the thing. I mean, if I'm if I'm if if I'm going through the teams, let me go through the over unders because that's an easier way than last year's standings. If you told I, somewhere between like fourth and ninth, I mean that's the but that's the reality for all of these teams. It's like Memphis. They've got some issues. The Clippers always have issues. Mm-hmm. Um, the Kings are not going anywhere. The Timberwolves are going to be better this year. The Thunder are going to be better this mm-hmm. year. The Pelicans, if knock on wood, Zion is ready to start the season. And I think Zion is going to be ready to start the season. Like Everybody's trying to win except San Antonio, who just got the generational guy in the draft. Right. Even the Rockets are trying to win. So, you know, I don't think Dallas is ceiling is super, super high just because everything goes back to who's the third best guy on the team. And you start to answer that question, you're like, oh boy. But I think their floor, if they're healthy, if Luca's healthy in particular, is is, is pretty stable. Despite despite the floor I was gonna say, collapsing in on itself. I was gonna last say year. they ended up in they ended up in the basement last year. So we shall see. What do we got to look forward to, uh, Tim McMahon, other than um, dealing with the ongoing harassment from Tim Bontemps on the Hoop Collective podcast? <laughs> oh, man. A, a few more weeks of uh, hopefully some quasi-summer, and then off we are to uh, you know to the media days and, and back to the grind. I'm just trying to enjoy just a little bit of downtime here. What's the best media day this year? I guess this is really an easy answer. The best media day? Just the spiciest, most Golden, fun media. Day. Golden State. You think so? Yeah, the whole CP3. I'm. What do you mean? I'm supposed to come off the bench thing. If I'm not starting, I'm not departing. It's it's <laughs> Philly. It's got to be Philly. Yeah, you're right about that. And then look. Also, what's going to be like? Is is Dame still going to be technically on the Blazers roster come media day? I don't know. Tim McMahon, uh, second to none. We love you. Um, Hopefully I'll see you at an NBA arena soon, my friend. Last time I saw you, we were, we were in, were we in Denver? Yes. There was sir. a lot of, there was a, it was a late night and there was wine. Denver during the finals. And a bartender who did us a favor uh, in, in staying open a little later than they were supposed to. Big low post fan, apparently. I don't know. Tim McMahon, everybody. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Adios, amigos. All right, we talked a lot about Team USA. Congratulated Germany. Congratulated Serbia. We got to talk about the team that beat Team USA for the bronze medal. Canada, finally, after years of hype and expectations, despite missing Jamal Murray and some other players who could make their Olympic team, won the bronze medal in a thrilling overtime game, generally had a fantastic FIBA World Cup, qualified for the Olympics, and confirmed for the world for the Oklahoma City Thunder, for the rest of the NBA, that they have a true blue number one option MVP candidate level superstar in Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who was so dominant at times, including in the game against the U.S., which Dylan Brooks really won with 39 freaking points, made every shot, shot 59% from three. Holy smokes, the Grizzlies are like, where the hell was that? Shea Gilgis-Alexander was so dominant 
that at times you could see him eyeing defenders. Oh, it's Cam Johnson this time. Oh, it's Walker Kessler dropping back in the pick and roll. It's oh, Mikael Bridges. I got to get a little tricky here. And just dissecting with a cold, calculated cruelty, bordering at times on like, this is going to be too easy. Tyrese Halliburton, this step back is going to be a lot of fun over your face. Canada's going to the Olympics. Blake Murphy of Sportsnet does a little Blue Jays, little Raptors. People are saying this is the biggest moment in the history of Canada basketball. Is this true? Are people into it? Is the country into it? Or is the World Cup there like it is here where it's like you have crazy people who are into it and then you have regular people who are like, what's happening? Where in the world? What happened? So I wouldn't say it's the biggest moment just yet, certainly in the last 20 plus years. Um, you know, the Raptors winning the championship counts as a Canadian basketball moment. Um, the high water mark is probably in 2000 at the Olympics when Steve Nash, uh, young Steve Nash and Canada beat Yugoslavia, who were the number one ranked team in the world at that point. That's probably the high water mark. But yeah, it's a huge deal. Like we... First of all, Canada's never done this. They've never gotten to a World Cup semifinal before, let alone medal. First time qualifying for the Olympics on the men's side since the year 2000. Um, so there's a, a lot here. And yeah, I, it, I think Canada probably leans closer to the U.S. where I've had to spend a lot of the lead up to this tournament. And as it was going, being like, no, hey, it's a bigger, better, more difficult tournament than the Olympics. It is an Olympic qualifier, but... Coming in third in the World Cup is a really huge deal, too. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of people are really excited for Olympic basketball now because, you know, North America centric and we've been conditioned on the hockey side that the Olympics is the biggest thing on the calendar. So there's real excitement for that. But for anyone who's, you know, been a Raptors fan, been a Grizzlies fan, been a Canada basketball fan over the last 20 years, this is huge. Like people were, I haven't seen the ratings yet, but based on what my Twitter was like, what responses into the Jays radio show that I was doing was like these games were on at like 445 in the morning and everyone was watching like the same audience that I'd normally see online when there's a Raptors game or, or something like that um, people were tuned in by the end um who are the biggest names that could realistically join so the 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 Canada's team this this tournament went seven deep and legit good NBA players um and that was pretty much it um, who are the biggest names that could realistically play in the Olympics? I, I mean, Jamal Murray's the obvious one. Wiggins has had a sort of on again, off again relationship with team Canada. Who, who am I? For? Like, I don't think Brandon is Brandon Clark ever. I think he played. Has he ever played? He, I can't remember if he ever he, has. I think he's come out for camp before at least he's um, on the team Canada, like official webpage along yeah. with like 900 other guys who have just at least had a, whiff of interest but who who else do we need to keep our eye on so jamal's the big one obviously you know you saw in the game against serbia where canada just really could have used an extra ball handler and i mean anyone can use someone as good as jamal murray you, you don't need to overthink it um the the tough part to figure though is going to be that uh three years ago or two years ago now canada basketball sat down with all of their players and there was a summit in Vegas after they had failed to qualify in the last chance qualifier in Victoria, British Columbia. There was a bit of a Canada basketball sum a summit down around Summer League. And I only found this out because I was on a commercial flight with Zach Eady on the way back. And there was a seven foot four, seven foot five guy trying to fit into a normal chair. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, there's a Canada basketball thing. Um, so what they did was they asked for 
three-year commitments from everyone, thinking a big part of why Canada basketball has not come through on the international level in the past is trying to America-style throw teams together on short notice, rely on talent over fit and chemistry. You know, the coach was changing all the time. Um, and and Canada has never really, until this World Cup, done a good job building a schedule with lots of exhibition games. Like this year, they played Germany twice and Spain and the Dominican Republic and um, New Zealand on the ramp up. So they hadn't done that in, a, in the past. So they sat down and they asked all these guys for a three-year commitment, um, including Nick Nurse, ironically. Um, but... So of that list of the guys who weren't there, there aren't a lot of NBA names on there. So the NBA names who committed and weren't there were Ken Birch, O'Shea Brissett, Corey Joseph, and Jamal Murray. So you look at that list and like other than Jamal, maybe those names don't move you a ton. But there's going to be an interesting decision here now that Canada's made the Olympics because a guy like Wiggins is going to put his hand up and want to play, I would think. Brandon Clark's a guy who... I mean, Canada's big man depth was so lacking in this tournament, even though they got through like there's a I think there's a risk of cutting off your nose to spite your face. If you draw a hard line in the sand. Of, no, this no. Is, that would, that's cutting off your face to spite your face. If they want yeah. to come, come I, let's go. This is the Olympics. Come on. Bring it in. You're a and you're a big wing who can do a lot of things. You're another big man. Come on in. We so forgive you. That's the tough thing they're gonna have to deal with now. Is like, look, I think the seven NBA guys that were there, if they put their hand up and want to play in the Olympics, those guys have a spot on the team. But the spot where you know Melvin Edgem, who I love and has been a big part of this program, but like he was a fringy guy in this tournament. He'll be 33 next Olympics. Like. Do they let someone like Clark come in and bump him from a roster spot? Or like there's a wave of young guys as well. Andrew Nembart, uh, Benedict Mathurin, uh, uh, um, Shaden Sharp. Like if those guys who obviously a rookie coming into the league can't make that three offseason commitment, um, it, it's just impossible for them. If those guys put their hands up, you know, what do you do with that? So there are some tough decisions here to make because they asked for this commitment and this was part of it was like you'd have the first crack at it but i think this tournament showed even though they were very successful they need another ball handler in there they definitely need to improve the depth at the four or five positions uh i think they have to you know loosen loosen the language on hey this is the core 14 a little bit yeah if he's healthy he's obviously brandon clark coming off an achilles tear mm -hmm. if he's healthy and he wants to play and he should be healthy i mean the grizzlies are expecting him to return at some point during the season I think that's a no-brainer because it's not like Brandon Clark comes in and interferes with your flow or your chemistry. A dude's going to set screens, dive to the rim, dunk the ball, hit floaters, and play hard on defense in any scheme you want. That's an easy fit. I love Nebhart as as just same thing. He's going to come in and not interrupt your flow at all. He's going to fit right in. Matherin is interesting. I thought of him too because um, he's going to want the ball and he does a lot of stuff with mm -hmm. the ball. And it could be, I mean, like you don't want to just not invite talent because they need the ball a lot, but that'll be interesting because I got to tell you, we're not talking about it down here quite as much because um, it's the World Cup and, and the U.S. audience doesn't care that much about it. I think what Shea Gilgis-Alexander has done is one of the biggest NBA stories of the offseason because you see these guys sometimes who have breakout, who, who make the leap from fringe all-star to... I mean, he was fifth in MVP voting, I believe, this past year. Mm -hmm. um, first team All NBA, and it th there's this there's this sort of like delayed cognitive dissonance about it. Like, wait a second, was that do we do we now 
consider that player in that stratosphere? Or is he really somewhere in between and kind of caught lightning in a bottle last year on a team that needed him to do everything? Like, how real is that? And I think what he did in the playoffs, or in the in the World Cup is like, not only was that all real, not only am I that freaking good, I might actually be better than that and still on the upswing of my career. Like, he was so dominant and at times looked so effortless. Like, just a couple of examples from the bronze medal game. There's a play he's bringing the ball up in semi-transition on the on the left-ish wing. And he sees Cam Johnson in front of him. He's like, this is easy pickings for me. Backpedaling <laughs> Cam Johnson, good player. And just accelerated, then hesitation dribble, up for a floater, fouled. Like, he knew exact like four dribbles before, he knew exactly what he was going to do. There was another play, second half, he had Tyrese Halliburton on him. Semi-transition again, the U.S. couldn't get the matchups the way they wanted. And he just, everyone shooed away. And just like, I got this. Step back, broke Tyrese Halliburton's ankle. Easy. Walker Kessler was dropping back in pick and roll. And he just, he saw it. And he's like, this is, this is all right. This is what I'm going to do. Accelerate around the screen, going right. Cross over with such explosiveness to his left that it almost made you be like, because you think of him as this crafty, herky-jerky player, and he is. But part of the reason that he is that is because when he decides to hit the gas, he can hit the gas with almost anyone in the NBA. He was so freaking good and so in control. I mean, the U.S. is throwing double teams at him at half court, and he's just like, you take it. you take. I, I, if I'm a Thunder fan, and I, if you haven't been paying attention, Thunder fans, to me, this whole summer was SGA announcing, oh, not only was it real, there's like more coming. There was a play too in that U.S. game. He ended up getting called for a travel, but just like the ability to burst and control through a trap as he was driving. And it was just like, I don't know. It, it was very, he's a knuckleball out there. It's just like, it's really hard. I guess it would be the way you said it with the burst too. It's like, yeah, but if a knuckleball, a guy could throw it at like 95 sometimes too. Um, it's It's pretty ridiculous. And obviously the surface level stats say a lot on their own, right? Like he averaged 25, six and six or something like that. He did it on like 67% true shooting. So it wasn't, um, you know, chucking or anything like that. I think the only two guys to average more free throw attempts than him were two of the best players in the world in Luka Doncic and Rondé Hollis Jefferson, um, two absolute superstars, obviously. So, um, yeah, Kobe, Kobe 2.0 in in international play. And that's, that's not being facetious. Brian Windhorst wrote a whole story about how he models his game and his look after Kobe now. Yeah, it's and hey, I got to know him a little bit when he was in Toronto. It's fun to see him uh, to get to do that. Um, the other thing about Shea, too, is like you look at these games individually and, you know, that France team really ended up underwhelming us. But game against France, uh, really like the uh, top five ranked country. He's the best player on the floor. No question. They play against Spain and they have to do this dramatic second half comeback. He's the best player on the floor against Spain. He goes up against Luca. Luca was the best player in the tournament, maybe, but Shea was the best player in that game and took over late. He didn't have the best Serbia game. Like Bogdanovic probably outplayed him in that one. But again, against the USA, like no question who the best player on the floor in that one is. Um, you know, I, I thought there was FIBA's never going to do this, but I did think there was a small chance he'd be the rare don't win the gold medal and win the tournament MVP because he was just so outstanding. And I mean, it goes without saying, given Canada's guard depth, anytime he hit the bench, they were a disaster. And that's not a 
knock on Phil Scrub or Trey Ball Haynes or, or anything like that. But Shea was just so, so important that he was, you know, they were even managing his minutes in first half so that he'd play 18 and a half out of 20 minutes in the second half. Um, he was tremendous. And like, he's such a, he's a soft spoken guy. So it doesn't come through until the Instagram captions or whatever, but he was a real leader for that team too. You see in the huddles as Jordy Fernandez is trying to, you know, command those huddles. Shea's at the forefront of that. And, you know, this team went how he went offensively in like more than just his, his scoring and assist prowess. I, I literally could not have been more impressed with Shea Gilgis Alexander. And I, I thought the, I was, I don't know how you feel about this. I thought the Thunder coming off of last year's Shea season should have been a little bit more like, hey, maybe now's the time. Maybe we don't rent our cap space out for seconds. And now coming off of this, I'm like, yeah, get this guy more pieces now. I know they have a nice young core and there are pieces around him, but I want to see more. I want to see playoff Shea now. Well, they made the play in. And yes. uh, shortly before I left for vacation, I had Andrew Schleck from The Athletic on. We did a deep dive on the Thunder. I would encourage any Thunder people that are interested that missed that to listen to that. We went deep on the roster. Who's going to get cut? Who's going to stay? The future of the team, Chet Holmgren fitting in. Um, they they obviously are a team to watch both on the court and transaction-wise because at some point they are going to make a big win-now move. It's not an if, it's a when. Um, a couple of things. I do think Luca. I made fun of his whining with Tim McMahon before. I mean, the whole world has now made fun of his whining. I do think he was the best player in the tournament. Um Dylan Brooks. <laughs> so I had a 10 things item maybe in the middle of the last season when the Dylan Brooks discourse was really getting ugly. And it all it was was featuring him coming off a screen on the left side of the floor, catching the ball, set play, and bouncing a pass to Brandon Clark, I think, who was his screener for a dunk. It was like the side of the floor was clear. It was a design play. And the reason I highlighted that play was Dylan Brooks, I, I wrote this in the thing. Like the, the guy is modulated the right way, is a good NBA player. He has not modulated himself the right way in Memphis, at least, due to his shot selection and just he just missed every jump shot last year. But that, I think, blinded people to, if he just were in the right place and picked his spots to score... He's not a bad passer when he just makes this simple, easy read like that. Defensively, he's legit. Like his off-ball defense, his ball denial is relentless. His on-ball defense is, obviously he fouls a lot, but he's a very good defensive player. I believe he made all defense last year. He was not on my ballot, but he was close. I thought he deserved it fine. Like he's a good player. And his ducking of the media during the Lakers series was embarrassing. And he was... was um, justifiably roasted and criticized for that. I don't know where the leak came from, where it was like Memphis has no interest in re-signing Dylan Brooks. I don't, I, I'm not saying that to protect anyone. I, I, I don't know. I didn't ask. I don't care. It was a little bit ugly. The guy's a good player. Now, I do think Houston overpaid for him. He was in a role in Canada where he got to shoot a lot. A lot of them were clean looks off passes from Shea, which is fine. I was happy for him. Now, he leans all the way into the nonsense with the sneering, the mean mugging, the boxing gloves, and all that stuff. It's just like, you you are allowed to just play. You are allowed <laughs> to just play. Got thrown out of a game. Ridiculously, by the way, these FIBA refs have thinner skin than whatever the thinnest skinned animal in the animal kingdom is. Just let a guy make a mean face at you. 
But you, I just if he could just play, I think people would like start to like Dylan Brooks again. Nikhil Alexander Walker is another guy. This is a deep cut. He was fine. For he wasn't great. He was okay. I never understood. This is a very deep cut. I apologize. Why Portland got him in the CJ McCollum deal, and you're like, oh, that's that's like a nice flyer. That that's like a smart flyer for a team to take as part of that deal. And then a day later, dumped him to Utah for Joe Ingles, who was injured and on an expiring contract. I was like, I just never understood that. Like, why? And he was like pretty good in Utah and pretty good in Minnesota. Who re-signed him anyway? Any other Canada stuff that we should be talking about? Any other players? Any other perspective you want to shed on this this run to what should be, as I said with Tim, a loaded Olympics in 2024 in Paris? Oh, it's going to be so much. Like Dylan Brooks was so good that LeBron James has to be like, no, I can't stand for this. I have to be on this Olympic team and put Dylan Brooks back in place. Um, no, I think Dylan Brooks obviously is kind of the big winner for Canada in this one. And he was like, I think he had a true shooting percentage of like 76% in this tournament too. Like he's not going to shoot like that in the NBA, but it was awesome to see. Um, no, I think the other, the other name of note for me from this tournament, and this is Raptor centric too, is Jordy Fernandez did a tremendous job coaching in that tournament. I didn't think he had the best game in the game. They lost to Brazil, but they also dealt with, Shea, RJ, and Kelly Olynyk all having probably their worst game of the tournament at the same time. Um, but the buy-in that he's been able to get from them, the way he was able to come in quickly after the Nick Nurse change and kind of hit the ground running with that group, uh, all the players spoke really, really highly uh, of working with him. We know that Jamal's a big fan of him uh, as well from their Denver days. So I look at him, you know, a guy we've heard his name come up a couple times as a coach of the future, a guy who went deep into the interview process with the Toronto Raptors um, and a guy who is committed to this Canada job through the 2024 Olympics. I think if you were looking at, you know, stock up, stock down from this tournament, he's got to be one of the bigger winners too, because, you know, he's still young, but I, th I think that made at least a decent case that, yeah, he could be ready to, to get a shot sometime soon. He's going to be a head coach in the NBA. I know Jordy pretty well. He's a good coach. He's good at the non-basketball aspects of the job too. You know, I had another assistant coach I, I know in Sacramento. We were shooting the breeze one day before a game. Talking about the revamped staff under Mike Brown who brought Jordy Fernandez in. Um, and this coach was telling me, he's a, a young, ambitious coach, was telling me like, I just attach Jordy is so good. I just attach myself to Jordy. I'm just a no I'm like his Ramora fish. Everywhere he goes, I go. Every meeting he's in, I want to be in. Every conversation he has with a player, I'm there because I want to learn. Cause whatever this guy is doing, it works. Talk to me about um RJ Barrett. 17 points a game, 53% shooting, 37% on three. It's a certain segment of fans, even in New York, that are always left a little bit cold by RJ Barrett. And I get why. Um, he kind of just is what he is. Um, he, he's picking his spots. Sometimes his three's going in. Sometimes it's not. Uh, sometimes his catch and go bulldozer drives work. Sometimes they don't. Um, he, 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 I think ideally in, in, I, I guess the ideal early vision for him was someone who would have the ball quite a lot. In the NBA, he's not quite good enough to have the ball a lot. So he has to pick his spots in other ways, and he's not sort of tailor-made as an off-ball player. Uh, defensively, he's sometimes good, not great, sometimes just okay. 
um, even within this tournament watching Canada, there were games where it's like, oh, RJ's doing what they need him to do and other games where I was like, well, I, I kind of haven't noticed him in 15 straight minutes of, of basketball time. What's the what's the temperature check on him? Yeah, I feel pretty similarly. I thought he had, despite the nice scoring numbers in the three knockout stage games, I thought he had kind of an underwhelming tournament. I thought when they lost not just Jamal Murray, but Cassius Robertson, who would have filled in in some of those backup kind of combo guard minutes, I thought, okay, well, RJ or Nikhil, one of those guys is going to basically be the de facto backup point guard. Now they run, they run a fair amount of the offense through Kelly Olynyk, So you don't maybe need that guy, but I thought RJ would take on a little bit more of the playmaking duty and kind of secondary handling, especially like the, the late stages of that U S game when they were trapping Shea so high up the floor and it was Dylan Brooks that they were turning to not RJ to be the kind of release valve and operate the four on three underneath the trap. Um, and, and look, RJ did a good job in that game scoring and kind of taking ad- advantage of the holes that, that Dylan and Shea were creating uh, certainly didn't have a bad game in that one, but I thought he had certainly had times where, he was not particularly noticeable. I mentioned the Brazil game. He was like, I couldn't tell you a thing he did in that game and like on either end of the floor. Um, and it's look, he it's he's not inexperienced, obviously. He's the second youngest player on this Canada team, but he's also like he led Canada to a U19 gold and a huge upset of the US in the semifinals in that tournament not very long ago. He has some FIBA polish, and I just I had kind of higher expectations for where he'd find his role, especially offensively with this team. And, you know, he got there a little bit in the the knockout stage games, but it was it was a little too up and down. And, you know, the Brazil game is is nobody's fault. A, a lot of guys had, had rough goes. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought that there were times where they really could have used the big RJ game and and didn't get it. And that's uh, that's unfortunate. But I think you know, him being a part of this core and having so much FIBA equity with, with this group and him and Shea and, and Dylan together, I think it'll be fine. But I, unlike Shea or, or Dylan Brooks or even Nikhil, I didn't come away from this one more optimistic about RJ's Knicks season ahead. It's just kind of was, uh, he is who he is. And at 23, you want to see more of that, like still on the way up signs, I guess. I've always been like 15% more bullish on RJ Barrett than most people. And I don't it, do re- you have a lefty bias as well? I, no, I okay. no. I, my envy of lefties, maybe if anything, makes me hate, like dislike them more. I wish I were left-handed. <laughs> my daughter just injured her right arm, and the the uh, the optimist in me is trying to look at it as a, like she's got to go all lefty for a little bit. Maybe like that help. summer, Demar like brushed <clears throat> his teeth left-handed and ate his cereal left-handed and everything. I did not. You're. I did not know that that happened. Yeah, that was a whole story. One year in training camp was like, oh, Demar needed to work on his left, so he did everything left-handed for a whole offseason. I like it. I like. I don't like it as much as my favorite Demar DeRozan thing, which is the just relentless, unending commitment to the free throw high five. Just <laughs> no one, no one ever in the history of the NBA as the free throw shooter is as committed to getting all the high fives as DeMar to the point that as you are mimicking, miming, um, when he shoots technical free throws, <laughs> he high fives ghosts because there's nobody there and he does goes through the high fives. Uh, RJ Barrett, look, he's 23 years old. He, he was the, 
I never bought the idea that he was the centerpiece of their potential Donovan Mitchell trade. I mean, I think he would have been in the trade probably. I don't think Utah was like hell bent on like, this is the guy we're going to, this is who we want. 23 million, 25 million, 27 million, 29.6 million. I'm cool with that. Like if the three point shot gets to another level, not even elite, just like a little better than it is now. I think a lot of his game on offense falls into place. And I think he's going to be a good defensive player. I like RJ Barrett at that money where the CBA is going, where contracts are going. I'm cool with RJ Barrett on my team, even if he leaves me cold sometimes. Let's do a few minutes on the Raptors because you're here and you're in Toronto and we got to talk about the Raptors. Um, we also have to talk about the fact that the FIBA World Cup MVP is the starting point guard of the Toronto Raptors, Dennis Schroeder, after the Fred Van Vliet departure. Um, Vegas very low on the Raptors, 36.5 over under. Uh, the Pascal Siakam trade didn't happen, hasn't happened, may still happen someday. It seems to be kind of dormant right now. He's extension eligible. OG Ananobi is extension eligible, probably will not take the extension that he's eligible for. Maybe, maybe he will. I don't know. Starts at 26 million. We'll see what he does. I would assume you, their starting five is going to be Schroeder, Anunobi, Barnes, Siakam, Pirtle, just because I have a hard time, even though Gary Trent Jr. shooting would be kind of a natural fit with that group. It's a pretty hard conversation to get any of those guys to come off the bench. That leaves my bench... I don't know who the hell is coming off the bench for this team. The only people I'm like sure of are coming off the bench are Gary Trent Jr. And I guess Precious Achua, who had a bad year last year, but I have hope for. He's extension eligible. I like uh, Jalen McDaniels. I thought was a good signing. I'd like to see him get minutes. Grady Dick, is he going to get minutes? Chris Boucher still on the team, not playing for Team Canada. I have no idea who their backup point guard is. Maybe it's just staggering Schroeder or Ananobi. This is a bad offensive team last year with bad spacing. Their defense fell off a little bit from the sort of turnover generating arms, limbs machine it had been. I had high expectations for them. I I hit the over hard in my fake betting ideas. I don't bet any money on anything. I was wrong. Where where are you on this team? I know you're in Blue Jays mode, but like what what is this team? Yeah, that's I mean, that's the question. And that's kind of the question we've been building to the last couple of years and why I found how they handled the Fred Van Vliet thing so fascinating slash frustrating of, you know, okay, maybe the offers weren't there at the trade deadline, but you obviously overestimated your potential to re-sign him um, or underestimated what someone might do on the market. And he's, you know, another piece that's left for nothing in return, which really hurts because you mentioned it. They were not a very good offense last year. They were not, they were like a bottom five half court offense and crunch time offense, and they just lost their only point guard, like their only natural point guard. And I know Fred Van Vliet has kind of like, like people have gone hot and cold with him and up and down over the years. He is really good. Like to lose a guy like that with nothing coming in to replace it is only going to make that tougher. Uh, even if you, you know, even if a fully idealized version of Scotty Barnes would have pushed Fred Van Vliet off the ball a little bit more. Guess who was your best three-point shooter? So that'll be tough. Um, you know, I think the Siakam thing has dragged on enough that it creates some of the same questions. You know, if you are... If they haven't extended him or traded him yet because they're still not sure. Um, what are we waiting for? How are you still not sure after this much time? Um, and until pen is to paper on an extension, I'm still imagining that a trade is possible because 
that's why wouldn't you extend I, him? I would agree with that imagination. Yeah. So I don't, they're still kind of in this one foot in each lane, but like they have a foot in a fast lane that they just don't have the, the top speed for. So when you said, what did you say? It was 36 and a half. Yeah. So like, I think if they went into the season with this group and we played it out and you told me trades are turned off, I would probably take the over there. But I think that that number being as low as it is, is a nod to there are way more scenarios where things don't go that great and they make a trade and they're sellers and they're looking further at the future. Then there are scenarios where like everything clicks and they win 43, 44, 45 games. Like I think a, a repeat as a play in team is kind of the upside here. And if that's your upside, like what do you, what are you doing that for? So I don't know this Pascal thing lasting as long as it has, has been surprising to me. I, I thought at some point we'd get one or the other. Well, I just look at that starting five. Do you agree that that's the starting five, or do you see them shaking Probably, it up Probably, and, and like the spacing is not going to be very good there. Uh, that's that's going to be pretty tough, I think, uh, half-court offense-wise. But you should be pretty good defensively, at, at least. And um, yeah, I don't know. I think that is the starting five. I think you, you have to, like Darko's biggest... Uh, biggest job is going to be how do you keep that as a starting five and stagger in Gary Trent and Grady Dick for shooting and stuff like that when you can't you can't exactly run like a four-man bench unit when you don't even know who those four guys would be um so yeah it's going to be that side of things is going to be interesting I can see it coming together more defensively than I can half court offense wise right now but we've seen the limitations of you're good defensively and run a lot in transition and it's a uh, it's a like middle of the pack play in team. It, this is the point where I should probably mention that the New York Knicks are suing the Toronto Raptors mm -hmm. for um, hiring away someone in their video department and having that person allegedly, allegedly, allegedly at the direction of Raptors higher ups scrape data from New York's um, information database. Uh, I've read the lawsuit. I'm derelict in following up and seeing if there's been any other filings. Uh, there's been I, nothing, nothing procedurally, I don't think. Not that I've seen. I have to say, although the concept is tantalizing and scandalous, the accusations are like synergy data. Like anybody could get that. Like, well, that, I mean, you wrote a piece on their analytics department and the ghost defender like a decade ago now. And that piece 10 years ago from the same front office is or uh, parts of the same front office is way beyond what synergy would let you do. Right. Like synergy is the it relying so heavily language wise on synergy. And this is maybe a benefit of the doubt reading of it. But it sounds to me like. The guy got hired, wanted to take his work with him so you didn't have to redo all your synergy playlists and stuff like that, and was just like careless about it and broke some rules that, yeah, you should reasonably know were rules, but it doesn't sound like the Knicks had a bunch of proprietary stuff that he left the building with, you know what I mean? That was why I never, I, I haven't yet, I've yet to dive too deep into it. I am interested to see where it goes, and I, I'm sure Adam Silver will be asked about it at the Board of Governors <laughs> press conference this weekend because it's unusual for teams to take their disputes of this nature, if there have really been any disputes of this nature, to court instead of to arbitration. Uh, I'm assuming he will be asked about it. If not, I'll ask him about it. Um, <laughs> back to that starting five. The spacing is fine. Whatever. It's not going to be good. We know that. I'm just more interested in, like, Dennis Schroeder has the ball a lot. Scotty Barnes has clearly been anointed the point forward, point whatever of the future. 
Pascal Siakam is not going to be psyched just sort of setting screens and popping out and picking his spots to bring the ball up and post up. Like I'm just interested to see how that balance works out. Obviously, they've had a version of that with Van Vliet as the point guard. He's just a better shooter than Dennis and I think a little bit more willing to pass and cut and move. And then you have Ananobi who just averages 19 points a game in the NBA. Like he needs to do stuff too. I don't, uh, I, the team is just kind of, eh, and I, I am interested to see kind of where, where they go. And camp is going to be interesting. Like camps camp is going to be, if nothing happens with Siakam and nothing happened with Gary Trent either. And I mentioned this mm-hmm. last week. When he opted in, it was reported almost immediately by not me, not ESPN, elsewhere, that an extension was coming. Never came. My theory is that that deal is waiting on other dominoes to fall or potentially fall or not fall, depending on what happens. Like they, they figure out the Siakam thing first and then, and then we'll see what happens. I, but I don't know. Like, what, What's your take on that? My, I was surprised when the initial reporting was that, yes, an extension is close because you look at even with the new extension rules and like the new extension rules, the 40 percent bump that you can get now instead of 20 percent, um, you know, maybe that helps with Ananobi. But I didn't think it helped with Trent because I thought the impression I've gotten is that Trent and Trent's camp want too large an extension anyway. So giving them an even higher max potential extension um, was a little odd to me. I don't know that, you know, without seeing, and again, this is another guy who's only 24 years old, but I thought he was worse last year than he was the year prior. And that wasn't just based on three-point shooting, cooling off a little bit. I thought he regressed as a playmaker and as a defender. Um, And yeah, I'm not super eager to give him an extension that has a, you know, 25 at the start of it or something like that. So um, I was a little surprised by that reporting in terms of what the team might be thinking. I I haven't been around them very much while I'm on Jay's stuff, so I don't know. But my read on it was just surprised that an extension would be close anyway. I had always gotten the impression that Trent's camp had more expensive eyes than than maybe the Raptors would with him. Opting in could potentially be a tell that they didn't find what they were perhaps looking for mm-hmm. on the broader market. Like this team is, it's just, it's gonna, it doesn't, ha- I, I don't like the idea that you, you got to pick a direction, pick a direction. You don't always have to pick a direction. It's not always so black and white. Um, even the year they picked a direction they did in part because they were playing in an empty arena in Tampa Bay. That place um, sucked. They did such a, like I was, I got to go down there for a couple weeks and like, I know that they did such a tremendous job making chicken salad out of it but it was depressing like i i didn't think of it at the time at the start of the year that this could just like be a cloud all year but once it happened i was like oh yeah this makes sense like get get out of there guys but even if they don't have to pick a direction even if they can hover in this nether world for a couple years while they reorient the roster the way they want it decisions are going to come and are Mm -hmm. coming and on the one hand, they they let Fred walk, and that's I actually think the losing people for nothing is sort of an overrated talking point. Like I think it can be okay to lose people for nothing um, in certain circumstances. Like I don't I don't sit back lamenting like all the all the trade bounty the Raptors did not get <laughs> by stringing this along the way they have, and then they have the Pirtle pick that they owe San Antonio, which is top six protected in the next three years. Presumably that obligation is extinguished 
this coming year and they can sort of proceed from there. But at least for this year, they don't really have an incentive to go anywhere near. Um, well, they, they, if they keep their pick, they would go all the way to the bottom, but they would seem to incentivize trying to win. It is just a strange brew and strange brews tend to be shaken up after a couple of years. So we'll see what happens. Blake Murphy. When did, when is baseball season over? Are the blue Jays going to make the playoffs? They are currently in a playoff spot and about to start a four game series with the team chasing them. So if they have a good week, they're going to be pretty confident. Um, if they things line up perfectly for me personally, if they win the wild card series and get knocked out in the next round, because then they'll be done right as Raptors start. So that would be tidy for me. How's Kelly Gruber playing on the hot corner? <laughs> uh, yeah, he's uh, haven't seen him around in a little bit. It's my only I, I, all the blue all my Blue Jays knowledge ends in like 1994. Joe Carter. Yeah, little, it's uh, little, little Blake enjoyed the 1990. Was that 1993? 92 and 93. I was uh, I was like such a hockey only kid at that point. I don't really have any like recollection of it. Um, I was also an Expos kid, just like to be a contrarian little jerk. Um, so I, I, I have uh, I have not much from that. Most of my my Jays stuff like is rooted in like, well, Roy Halladay is the best pitcher in the world and they never, ever win. Um, so, you know, very fitting for Toronto sports in general. Great nickname, though, Doc Holliday. Oh, yeah. Um, Blake Murphy, thank you for your time on Team Canada and the Raptors. I'm sure we will be talking again soon. Enjoy the remainder of baseball season. Thanks, man. Talk to you soon.